All right, good morning once again. Now is the time in our worship gathering that we open God's Word. This is the time after we've spent time in prayer, in worship, uh, and in fellowship. Now we go to the Word. And we find that God's Word is a deep well. It's a deep well from which we can draw and find refreshment. We can find sustenance. And also uh, we can uh, see things about God, see things about ourselves, and learn about the way that He has laid before us to walk. The way that He has demonstrated in Christ Jesus for us to live. And so uh, I always get excited about just the, the, the simple act of opening God's Word, and I pray that you would have that uh, same excitement today. Uh, we are continuing in our uh, teaching series through the Lord's Prayer called Our Father, and this is week number 12, and today's message is called Disruption. Disruption. Uh, the past couple weeks that I've taught, uh, I've, I've mentioned that um, you know that I write ahead of time my sermons, so these actual, these very sermons you're hearing right now, were written in March of 2020. So at the very front end of the, uh, the coronavirus pandemic, things were getting squirrely. That's a technical term, but that's exactly how I would describe it. Things were getting a little bit squirrely back in March of 2020. And so the past couple times, and then today included, are what I call time capsule messages. They're kind of like pulled from March of 2020, and they take us back to that time. Uh, things I was noticing, things I was learning, things I was fearful of, perhaps, uh, when things were just getting started and just getting really weird. So, disruption. So. Once again, join me in the Wayback Machine as we go to March of 2020. We're getting good at this by now, right? It took less time. You notice I had to do fewer of the... We're there. March of 2020. As we have toiled under the strictures of worldwide coronavirus lockdown, there have been many consequences. There have been unexpected, expected consequences and unexpected consequences. There have been uh, good consequences, but also bad consequences. Uh, let's get some feedback here. What were some of the things, as things shut down, what were some of the uh, consequences that you anticipated would happen? What were some of the expected consequences of a global shutdown? Lack of toilet paper. <laughs> Lack of toilet paper. That way, I would put that under unexpected consequences, but a consequence nonetheless, right? Um, what's that? Nowhere to eat, uh, out, you couldn't eat out. Uh, no travel, that was one that really kind of stunk. I've canceled two trips to Italy. <laughs> Anyone else canceled any trips? Yeah, I kind of saw that one coming maybe. What about the unexpected ones? What things kind of went really good or, or unexpectedly well during the shutdown? What's that? No traffic. No traffic. Did anyone buy stock in Zoom? <laughs> yeah. Uh, what's up with the housing market? Uh, car sales? I mean, it, like certain things happen. I mean, any of you that are involved in like home reconstruction or, or remodeling, it's been a little bit nuts for a long time. So good stuff happened, bad stuff happened, expected stuff, unexpected consequences of the global shutdown. Uh, economies, no one mentioned this, but economies, as expected, they kind of cratered there for a time. Unemployment exploded, uh, and fear was rampant. A new sort of fear that maybe we were unfamiliar with in our comfortable first world Western culture, a certain fear crept in that maybe we were vulnerable. Maybe things weren't as stable, solid, and secure as we once imagined. So a certain kind of fear crept in. Everyone in every walk of life had to adapt 
to a new normal. That's another phrase I hope I never hear again. Along with social distancing, I never want to hear someone say, it's just the new normal. I'm tired of those phrases because they've been so common in our, par uh, in our parlance, 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 our usage. Yeah, so new normal. Our normal routines, our patterns, our priorities, they've been disrupted. Things about each one of our lives have been shifted in the midst of the shutdown. In the midst of the shutdown, I've noticed some things about how if we disrupt our normal habits, particularly those destructive ones, healing begins to happen quickly. When things shut down, things start going back to a certain type of normal. And I've noticed this in the human life. When we disrupt patterns, specifically dis destructive ones, things start to go back to normal. Things start to heal. Maybe you've seen a documentary or something about Chernobyl. This isn't in my notes, so hang on. But, you know, Chernobyl. It was a nuclear uh, reactor meltdown. And it created like a, a radioactive zone. And they tried to move everybody out. And just like nothing's been happening. There's even like an amusement park in, near Chernobyl, the town of Chernobyl. <laughs> which is like abandoned and stuff. But here, like, I don't know how many years later, 30 or 40 years later, the entire town is overgrown with trees. The forest is taking over. You know, grass is growing on top of buildings and stuff. It's just like things are going back to nor a, a natural state uh, just because it's been disrupted. And I think that healing and, and uh, restoration can happen in us when we disrupt destructive cycles in our life as well. Destructive habits. This is true in our personal lives, but it's also true at the community level and at the global level. Uh, perhaps during the shutdown, you noticed something that I noticed. Maybe you've seen, you, you heard reports of how the planet's air quality and water quality was rapidly improving uh, during the widespread shutdown because industry and tourism was uh, at a standstill manufacturing wasn't happening airplanes weren't flying through the sky so so the water quality and the air quality around the world was changing and it was improving massive clouds of carbon dioxide and and uh, nitrogen dioxide and other greenhouse gases uh, that were that had been hovering over China's massive industrial centers in January of 2020 had dissipated by the end of February 2020 from our satellite view the air quality had vastly improved just in the course of one month as these manufacturing centers had basically shuttered. So the air cleared. The, the, the atmosphere was cleaner in the course of a month. Now in Venice, Italy, a uh, place that's pretty near and dear to my heart, uh, the normally turbid and murky waters of the canals, anyone ever been to Venice, you know, they don't drive, they use boats because it's water roads, right? Uh, the normally turbid and murky waters of the canals, they had cleared. For the first time in, in living memory, they had cleared um, due to lack of boat traffic. There were no boats traveling in the canals anymore because everyone was on lockdown. In fact, in Italy, they were required to stay indoors. So no one was traveling. So the, the canals were so clear that for the first time in anyone's memory, you could see fish swimming in the canals. You could see the bottom of the canals. And on occasion, you even saw dolphins swimming in Venice. How crazy is that? The idea of disruption, the idea of disruption of, of destructive habits and patterns, it resonates with me. It resonates with me at a whole bunch of different levels, at, at ecologically, relationally, economically, and as you can imagine, spiritually. Spiritually. 
Disrupting destructive habits brings about change. Things can happen when we disrupt destructive patterns and habits. Learning important lessons during times of crisis can better prepare us for the next time we are faced with disruption and difficulty. As Christopher Jones, who is the lead developer at Cool Climate Network, which is at UC Berkeley, illustrates, he says, if we can think about how to prepare for climate change like a pandemic, maybe there will be a positive outcome to all of this. We can help prevent crises in the future if we are prepared. I think there are some big picture lessons here that could be very useful. Now, of course, he's talking about just about the environment, about the ecological uh, ramifications of being prepared uh, and responding appropriately. But I take this to mean uh, this can be applied to all areas of life, specifically uh, as people, uh, spiritually, relationally, and so forth. So, I want to talk real quickly about uh, maybe a, a sensitive subject. Uh, and, uh, and it's called besetting sins. Is anyone familiar with, the, with the, the, the term besetting sins? Do you know what a besetting sin is? Uh, it's the kind of sin that keeps popping up in our life. It's not the, the one-off thing that you just were tempted to do and you did it, but it's that thing that keeps happening. It keeps happening. Many of us, if not all of us, struggle with one sort of uh, besetting sin or another. Uh, those hang-ups. We can call them hang-ups, right? Those hang-ups that we have with issues, issues like lust, issues like, like addiction, anger, greed, jealousy, lying, stealing, whatever. The list goes on. Humans have found infinite ways to get hung up on these besetting sins. There's something in us that grabs on to destructive patterns, destructive habits, and has a really hard time letting go. For as long as you can remember... Perhaps you've been fighting a battle. You've been fighting a battle with this besetting sin, and far too many times you feel like you have lost. You've lost that battle with that, that pesky besetting sin. Once we come to faith in Jesus, once we have turned our lives over to the work of the Holy Spirit, this blasted sin habit still persists. What's going on? Why didn't Jesus come and like carve that out so we didn't struggle with it anymore? We really want to follow Jesus. We really want to be changed and become more like Him. We want to follow the leading of the Holy Spirit in our life. But there's still this, this sin. This sin that keeps cropping up. This sin habit. It persists even though we've asked God a million times to help. A million times to free us from the temptation and to free us from the resulting shame. Am I talking to anybody in the room? Or do I just need to turn around and just talk to myself? I mean, yeah, I mean, gosh, I don't know. There's something about the human condition that is not just like, all right, you know, you struggled with wanting to murder somebody once. You know, I mean, we all struggle with that. But that's not a besetting sin, I, I hope. I'll meet you in the back with some armed guards later. Uh, Here's the thing, in the face of these besetting sins, these sin habits that keep cropping up, that keep harassing us, it's, it's easy to start feeling discouraged. It's easy to start feeling discouraged. It's easy to start feeling like a failure when that one sin, that one sin that you would like to get rid of the most, it keeps hanging around. It keeps hanging around like that friend that ignores social cues. Like that friend that, that keeps hanging around and eating all your food and making all 
big messes all the time and never cleaning up. We've got that sin in our life. Here's the thing. I find comfort in this, though, for what it's worth, right? I'm not alone. Guys, you're not alone. Struggling like this has a long history, and it's a familiar experience to almost every human being who's ever lived. We can look at Scripture and find spiritual giants like the Apostle Paul. <laughs> Sorry, I'm going through puberty. <laughs> we find spiritual giants like the Apostle Paul struggling with old sin habits. What? Paul? The Paul? Even big league Bible characters wrestled with besetting sins. Man, it's been with us for a long time. So maybe it's a good use, a good use of our time then to go to Scripture. Let's listen closely to Paul. Where did Paul land in his struggle with besetting sins? How did he understand the power of the gospel in the light of uh, our time on earth where we still struggle sometimes? Well, let's look at Romans chapter 12. Let's jump right to Romans chapter 7, actually. <laughs> 7. How about Romans chapter 7, verses 14 through 24? Man, this is one of my favorite passages, not because it's easy, but because I, I, it holds itself up kind of like a mirror to me. Uh, I see myself in it. Romans 7, 14 through 24. So the trouble is not with the law, for it is spiritual and good. The trouble is with me, for I am all too human, a slave to sin. I don't really understand myself. You see where I'm going here? <laughs> this reads like something I might write. I don't really understand myself, for I want to do what is right, but I don't do it. Instead, I do what I hate. But if I know that what I am doing is wrong, this shows that I agree that the law is good. So I am not the one doing wrong. It is the sin living in me that does it. And I know that nothing good lives in me, that is, in my sinful nature. I want to do what is right, but I can't. I want to do what is good, but I don't. I don't want to do what is wrong, but I do it anyway. <laughs> Oh my goodness. But if I do what I don't want to do, I'm not really the one doing it. It is the sin living in me that does it. Verse 21, I have discovered this principle of life, that when I want to do what is right, I inevitably do what is wrong. I love God's law with all my heart, but there is another power within me that is, at war, that is at war with my mind. This power makes me a slave to the sin that is still within me. Oh, what a miserable person I am. Who will free me from this life that is dominated by sin and death? Thank God. Thank God the answer is in Jesus Christ our Lord. So you see how it is. In my mind, I really want to obey God's law, but because of my sinful nature, I am a slave to sin. But thank God, the answer is in Christ Jesus our Lord. I love this passage. It's so raw, it's so real, and it's so very me. Anyone else resonate with that? Like, I feel so seen. I feel so known. Paul gets me. He's just like me. I could have written that passage, right? Could you have written that passage? You know what you should be doing. But guess what? 
you're not going to do it. So we've got this sin nature in us, just like Paul's talking about. That sounds just like us. How many times have you cried out those very same words with Paul? Oh, what a miserable person I am! What a miserable person I am! Who will free me from this, this life that is dominated by sin and death? Guys, we've all been there. That's a necessary and healthy place to get to in our life with God. I'm a miserable person. I've got this dead body of sin clinging to me. Who will free me from it? Because I've tried and I've failed. I've tried and I've failed. And I just can't get free. But mercifully, here's what we should notice here with Paul. He identifies it. He's very honest about his struggle with sin and his sin nature. But he does not wallow in it. He does not allow that to ultimately identify him, does it? Does he? No. He doesn't wallow there. He looks up. And what does he do? He announces the ultimate answer. The ultimate answer and the good news about our guilt and our disgust in verse 25, the first part of it, when he says, Thank God! Exclamation point! The answer is in Christ Jesus our Lord. We've been set free because what God has done through Jesus Christ our Lord. So here's the thing. God, in His great mercy, first, hear this, He's not surprised when you fail. It's been going on for a long time, your whole life, but all of human history is marked by this struggle. God is not surprised when you struggle and when you sin. But, number two, God is eager to help you. God is eager to come to you, to walk beside you, and to lead you into repentance, into life, and into freedom in Christ Jesus. Do you believe that? My friends, that's good news. You can't save yourself. That's bad news. But the good news is God is able. God is willing. And God has made a way for you to be set free. And it's through Jesus Christ, our Lord. Hallelujah. Man, sometimes I wish there was more of that spike in your Bible. Like, yes! <laughs> more expressive, but I'm not. All right. Romans, uh, Paul continues in uh, Romans chapter 8, uh, in verse, the first four cha uh, verses of Romans 8, he goes on to say, So, there is no condemnation. There is no condemnation for those who belong to Christ Jesus. And because you belong to Him, the power of the life-giving Spirit has freed you from the power of sin that leads to death. The law of Moses was unable to save us because of the weakness of our sinful nature. Let's just come to terms with it. We are weak because of our sinful nature. We needed rescue. Let this remind us once again, we don't merit anything. We can't save ourselves. God knew this, so He saved us in Christ. The law of Moses was unable to save us because of the weakness of our sinful nature. So, God did what the law could not do. He sent His own Son in a body like the bodies we sinners have. And in that body, God declared an end to sin's control over us by giving His Son as a sacrifice for our sins. He did this so that the just requirement of the law would be fully satisfied for us who no longer follow our sinful nature, but instead follow the Spirit. Whew. There's no condemnation. There's no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Guys, this is good, good news. I'll pick up my notes now. 
Isn't that exciting though? I mean, how often do we need to return to Paul's wisdom here, the way God is speaking through the Apostle Paul? Guys, God knows how easily we bury ourselves in guilt and shame. How often we struggle and succumb to sin. But in response to that, God sent Jesus and He is able to heal us, forgive us, and set us free. <laughs> so in the murky and turbid waters of my sin, I am so very thankful for God's grace, that grace which He has shown to me so lovingly and powerfully in His Son, Jesus Christ. Over the past many, many weeks, we have been walking through the Lord's Prayer. Two weeks ago when I was teaching, we imagined that the spiritual life is like gardening. You remember that metaphor I started using? Well, I'm back to it today. So, uh, We talked about the spiritual life is kind of like gardening. Uh, and our relationship with God is like we're a plant and, and He's a gardener Okay, in our life. The Holy Spirit's a gardener in our lives and we're a plant. Pick your plant, that's fine. Um, I'm kind of an aloe vera, I don't know, what, what you might be. But uh, anyway, a plant. We're a plant. And we fancied that as we get to this second part of the Lord's Prayer, that our prayer for daily bread, give us this day our daily bread, is kind of like being given by God this good, nutrient-rich soil uh, into which our roots can grow. Our roots can grow deep and secure, and we can become satisfied and nourished by God Himself. Give us today the things we need our daily bread. Sustain us. And then we turned our attention the next week to the sunlight of forgiveness. Forgive us our sins, our trespasses, as we have forgiven those who trespass against us. You know that part, right? Well, that forgiveness is like sunlight. This reconciliation between us and God and us and others, uh, they're interconnected. Forgiveness clears the sky and lets photosynthesis, a spiritual photosynthesis, take place in our lives. If we allow unforgiveness and lack of repentance to persist in our relationship with God and with others, it's like dark clouds. Dark clouds hanging overhead, blocking out the sunlight, stunting our growth, and wilting something in our souls. So we know what that feels like as well. Unforgiveness hangs in our skies like black clouds blocking out sunlight. I've said that. Today, though, we want to get to that third part. Lead us not into temptation, but what? Deliver us from the evil one. Lead us not to temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. Temptation is like polluted water. Temptation is like toxic, polluted water that threatens to sicken us and it threatens to sabotage our efforts to pursue righteousness in the life with God. So you kind of see the metaphor we've been using here? Daily bread is the soil, forgiveness is the sunlight, and then today temptation is like dirty water. Dirty water. So let's read the Lord's Prayer once again today and focus on verse 13. Jesus said, pray like this, Our Father in heaven, may your name be kept holy. May your kingdom come soon, and may your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today the food we need, and forgive us our sins as we have forgiven those who sinned against us. And don't let us yield to temptation, but rescue us from the evil one. Don't let us yield to temptation, but rescue us from the evil one. So we've come to the three petitions. There's three petitions here in the second half of the Lord's Prayer, and they are familiar to us. Uh, we are comfortable. I think we're all most comfortable in that first petition. 
we don't have as much hesitation to ask God for our daily bread. We understand that we're needy. We need God. We need that daily bread that we read about in verse 11. We need food. We need jobs. We need our pets' heads to not fall off. It's <laughs> a little dumb and dumber reference there. Um, but less comfortably, we're not, we're not as eager to ask for forgiveness because that feels a little bit more difficult, a little more painful. What we read about in verse 12 we all know what it feels like, though, to have unresolved conflict. We know what it feels like to have fractured relationships. But then the, the, the hits keep coming. We get to that third petition, that temptation part. And, oh, no. So many times it stops us in our tracks and it pokes us right in the sternum. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us. From the evil one, many of us have been in these pitched battles with the enemy, with the evil one, and we've lost so many times. We're like, oh no, not again. Anyone else have a troubled history with temptation? Anyone else have a troubled history with temptation in your walk with Jesus? Man, my propensity to flounder in the face of temptation has too many times served to undermine any confidence I have in a right relationship with God. In, 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 in my walk with Jesus, so many times the memory, the recollection of how I have failed in the face of temptation has made me feel out of place, really uncomfortable when I come into the presence of the Lord. Like, I have no business being here. I am an imposter. I, I shouldn't be here at all. My growth has far too often been hampered by feelings of guilt and unworthiness. And I know I'm talking to other people here too. So many times we've felt that way. Perhaps even today, you're here and you walked in this room and you feel like trash. You feel like trash. You feel all queasy and gross because you failed once again. You gave in once again to that besetting sin. You gave in once again to that temptation. You faltered in the face of that same old temptation. You failed again. And you feel like garbage. Man, that's rough. That's rough. And at least be honest about it. I mean, there's Sundays you've been here, I've been here, and I feel like I have no business being here because of how I failed once again. Well, I'm speaking to you today. Take heart. Take heart. I'm talking to you. Take heart today. Know this, that Jesus knows your sins. Jesus knows your struggles. And he took those sins and he took those struggles and he nailed them to the cross. It's your sins, your struggles, that he willingly took and nailed to the cross. A thousand times over, let's hear that. Jesus knows your sin and your struggles, and it's those sins and struggles He took and nailed to the cross. Secondly, Jesus knows our struggle, and He put it right there in the Lord's Prayer on purpose. Do you get what's happening here? His very disciples are like, hey, teach us how to pray. And He's like, hey, okay, you're going to pray a lot. Every time you pray, go here. Recognize this. Ask God to guide you and lead you and to set you free in this. He puts our temptation, our struggle with temptation, right there in the Lord's Prayer for a reason, because He knows us, yes, but more than that, guess what? He loves us. This is showing concern and care for us. He doesn't say, hey, ask God to lead you not to temptation, because if you do, watch out. You better not give in to that besetting sin, or else. <laughs> 
No, he's like, do it so you'll be free. I want to guide you in the path that leads to life and to righteousness. Pray this. Ask God. He's willing to help. He knows us and He loves us. God knows perfectly our deep need for all these things we've asked for. He knows deeply our deep need for food, for, for forgiveness, and for freedom. He's not cracking His knuckles. He's not waiting to clobber you every time you fail. Is that surprising to anybody? I mean, we know that up here, but up here, is that surprising still? It is to me sometimes. I think I'm going to reach some imaginary line and I'm going to fail one more time. And he's like, all right, that's it. And he's just going to crack his knuckles and just lay into me. It's like grace is gone, sucker. You've done it one too many times. He's not doing that. God desires to grow us through these things. He desires to grow us through our recognition of our need. He desires to grow us through recognition of our grudges and our tendency, our, our hesitancy to forgive. He, he desires to grow us through our temptations. He's not leading you there, but He's with you in them and He's willing to grow you through them. How great is that? Now, is there anywhere else in Scripture that speaks about temptation? Yes. There is. Let's look at some of those places because the Bible is helpful. God desires us to know and he's, he's led people to write about it all through Scripture. And let's visit two places at least here. Let's, let, let's hear Scripture's wisdom and guidance regarding temptation. Look at James chapter 1. Some of you probably already thought about James, didn't you? I knew that. James chapter 1, verses 12 through 18. God blesses those who patiently endure testing and temptation. Afterward, they will receive the crown of life that God has promised to those who love Him. And remember, and remember, when you are being tempted, do not say, God is tempting me. God is never tempted to do wrong, and He never tempts anyone else. Temptation comes where? From our own desires, which entice us and drag us away. These desires give birth to sinful actions, and when sin is allowed to grow, it gives birth to death. Verse 15 again. These desires give birth to sinful actions, and when sin is allowed to grow, it gives birth to death. Okay, let's stop there. God blesses us when we endure temptation. Enduring temptation and fleeing temptation, uh, it, it leads to life. This is God's promise. It leads us to freedom and to life. Uh, we can never accuse God of tempting us. Why? Because the temptation never comes from God. Where does it come from? Us. It's, it originates in us. It flows, stems from our sin. Just like Paul said, there it is. It's in me. It's like the alien, you know. Oh no, it's there. It's growing inside of me. I didn't need God to tempt me. I tempted myself. So be careful about that. I think sometimes we have a tendency to look around and cast about and try to blame somebody else. It happened in the Garden of Eden and it happens now. Oh, you put the apple here. You shouldn't have put the tree in the garden that we were supposed to eat. It's kind of your fault, God. Enabler, you know. Uh, we're quick to turn and blame, and sometimes we even blame God for this temptation, for this besetting sin, right? But here, James is clear. He's like, oh, it's never God. God never tempts. He can't be tempted, and He never tempts anyone else. When you're tempted, it's because there's sin in there, and it still has run of the place, and that's not good. 
And then when temptation gives way to sinful actions, it chokes out our life like weeds. It distracts us from God and it leads to our death in so many ways. Sin ruins everything. So what do we do? Be quick to turn to God. Look to His true Word in Jesus Christ and be born again. Be set free. Now let's look at uh, 1 Corinthians 10. 1 Corinthians 10, 12 and 13. Here's Paul speaking again to the believers in Corinth. If you think you are standing strong, be careful not to fall. You just can't win in this. Either you're like crushed by guilt and shame, or you think you're high-stepping it like, yeah, check me out, world. I'm no longer afflicted by sin. Paul's like, oh, 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 watch out. Watch out. Pride comes before a fall, brother. <laughs> if you think you are standing strong, be careful not to fall. The temptations in your life are no different from what others experience, and God is faithful. He will not allow the temptation to be more than you can stand. When you are tempted, He will show you a way out so that you can endure. You'll never be tempted. When you are tempted, He will show you a way out so that you can endure. Now, temptation, as we've seen, is a double-edged sword. You overcome temptation, and you become prideful. And that's a dangerous place, right? You give in to temptation, uh, you fail, and you feel like trash. You feel like the absolute, the absolute per worst person in the whole wide world, right? But here we find incredible encouragement. Big picture, becoming prideful about your awesomeness and overcoming temptation is far more dangerous than you failing again in the face of that same old temptation. I think God's got more to work with uh, in, a, in a place of contrition and, and, and humility and, and like, oh, I failed again, rather than us feeling like we're 10 feet tall and we've got it all together and we no longer really need God's help in overcoming temptation. That's a more dangerous place. An attitude of contrition, of, of, of repentance, is a far better place uh, in which to be than a, to have an attitude of pride. Also this, your temptations are not unique. This is what James, or, uh, Paul points out here. Your temptations are not unique. They're shared. Actually, uh, uh, research shows that all 7 billion plus people in the world feel temptation. And over all billion plus Christians who've ever lived, they have been tempted and they have failed. Christians, all Christians have been tempted, and at one time or another, all Christians have failed. That's just part of, the, part of how it works, it seems. Additionally, know that God is faithful. God has been faithful to all billion plus of those Christians throughout history. God is faithful. God has guarded those Christians against overwhelming temptation, and He has provided a way to keep them safe. But, here's the thing, in the face of temptation, even though God has provided a way for our escape and for us to get away from it, we have a role to play in overcoming temptation. What is it? Do it. Take the way. Uh, God always provides a way out. Yes, but we must first look for it, and second, go toward it. Take it. Take the way out. Master your sinful desires. Like God speaking to Cain is like, hey, sin is crouching at your door. Don't worry. I'll take care of it for you, Cain. 
No, is that what, that's not what he says. He says, sin is crouching at your door after he'd slain, uh, he was considering killing his brother, right? He says, sin is crouching at your door. What must you do? Master it. You must master it. Get away from it. So God provides a way. Ours is to, to look for it and be willing to take it. Now, think about your life. Can you really think, honestly, think of a time when there's not been a way out from the temptation? Really, have you ever been really, truly boxed into temptation? It's like, God, it really wasn't my fault. There was nothing else I could have done. Probably not. Probably not. God is faithful. He's telling the truth. He has provided an escape route when you face temptation today, tomorrow, any day in the future. There is a way out. It's just that sometimes, many times, we're unwilling to take it. The pull of that sin and temptation is pretty strong. So today, or let's see, we want, we have to want peace with God more than we want the short-lived pleasure of sin. That's really what has to change inside of us ultimately. We have to grow to where we desire peace with God more than we desire the short-lived pleasure of our sin. So today, what can we let this Lord's Prayer do for us? Well, it can disrupt us. It can disrupt this destructive pattern in our lives. It can allow those toxins and all that turbidity to settle out, to wash away. Things clear up so we can see again. We can grow again. Let's make the Lord's Prayer our prayer today as God leads us and delivers us from temptation once again and sets us free in Christ Jesus. And may the pure waters of God's faithfulness nourish your faith as you grow in Him, as your leaves begin to turn green, and as you start to produce good, good fruit. That's my prayer for you. Guys, you're not alone. You're not alone. The work of the enemy is to tempt you, to see you fail, and then to, make, and then to cut you off from the rest of the people, making you feel like you're the only one that's ever struggled like this, and you are no longer uh, eligible for God's grace in Jesus. You're not alone. God's brought you here on purpose. Jesus has taken your sin and your struggles, nailed them to the cross so that you could be free and forgiven. I'd like to finish up here with a, with a closing meditation. Uh, I think we've got it on the screen, actually. Uh, but Jeremiah chapter 17, verses 7 and 8. I just want you to uh, either read along with me or just close your eyes. I'm going to read it a couple times. But just listen to uh, Jeremiah's words here. The words God would speak to us through Jeremiah from so long ago. Well, let's listen. But blessed are those who trust in the Lord and have made the Lord their hope and confidence. They are like trees planted along a riverbank with roots that reach deep into the water. Such trees are not bothered by the heat or worried by long months of drought. Their leaves stay green and they never stop producing fruit. But blessed are those who trust in the Lord and have made the Lord their hope and confidence. They are like trees planted along a riverbank with roots that reach deep into the water. Such trees are not bothered by the heat or worried by long months of drought. Their leaves stay green and they never stop producing fruit.
Father, we uh, thank you for your word. We thank you for the way that uh, even the people we find writing in the Bible know, the, know what it's like to struggle, know what it's like to give in to sin and to, and to need forgiveness. God, we feel the, the weight of our sin. We're familiar with the shame of our, our besetting sins. and uh, God, we want to offer that all up to you today. We want both our heads and our hearts to understand that Jesus came just for these things, to glorify you, but also to take our sins and our struggles and to nail them to the cross so that we could be forgiven. And then he went on to be raised from the dead into new life so that we would no longer have to live in the shadow of our sin, but we could follow him into new life as well. When Jesus said he's making all things new, he's making this new in us as well. And we, we're just uh, so glad about that. Lord, I, I ask that you'd be with my friends here today. It's hard, it's hard to tell how your Holy Spirit's at work in each individual life, but God, I know that some people walked in this morning feeling pretty low, pretty beat up, pretty worthless. And I trust that your Holy Spirit would want to, bring, would want to come and speak encouragement, speak hope into this room. That the answer doesn't lie in us somehow figuring out how to never be tempted again or never uh, feel the pull of that besetting sin. The answer is in looking to Jesus Christ. Thank God the answer is in Jesus Christ our Lord. May we become more and more familiar with Paul both in the struggle but also in the solution. May we become disgusted with the sin in our life, yes, but may we be so joyful when it comes to recognizing the answer. Thank God. Thank God. The answer is in Jesus Christ, my Lord. My Lord. God, be at work in this place. God, I sense that there's probably someone here that feels really far from you, like they've got no business being even at church today, but let alone talking to you. God, I pray that you'd speak peace and words of welcome. God, disarm us. Help us be humble enough to come because that feeling is oftentimes rooted in pride too that keeps us from you. So God, help us lay aside anything that would keep us from talking to you right now and following uh, Jesus. You've accomplished so much through him for, for your glory and for our good. God, how dare we stay away? May we come boldly to the throne of grace today. In Jesus' name. Hey, we're going to worship a little bit more, but I think this is an important moment for us. It would be, I think, a missed opportunity for us to not act upon what we feel the Holy Spirit is doing in us right now. Some of you would like nothing more than to pray with somebody. Am I right? You felt alone and isolated for far too long in this. What if you could stand with someone, sit with someone, hold hands and just go to the Lord and say, God, be our strength. Set us free. Help me believe the good news again. Well, it takes boldness on your part in that you have to step out. I mean, sometimes our body has to lead and then our spirit kind of follows that. But here's the thing. We're going to sing a song. And uh, uh, I'm going to go to the back of the room. There's going to be some others that might come back there to pray as well. But um, if you would be so bold is to use these next few minutes wisely. Follow the prompting of the Spirit. And let's lay this before the Lord. What if you could leave here today free, forgiven, alive in a new way? Stop giving temptation and those besetting sins so much control and power in your life. 
God is greater, and Jesus has made a way for you to be set free. So I'm excited. Let's pray together. Make the most of this opportunity.